Hello, and welcome to Securing Sexuality, the podcast where we discuss the intersection of intimacy and information security. I'm Wolf Gorlick. He's a hacker, and I'm Stephanie Gorlick. She's a sex therapist, and together we're going to discuss what safe sex looks like in a digital age. Today we are joined by Melissa Saavedra, the creator of the Steam Box, a subscription service which pairs monthly romance novel written by BIPOC or other marginalized authors with a variety of self and body care products, sex toys, and other goodies. Uh, Melissa is a Navy veteran, a romance novel aficionado, and is here to tell us all about her work and her upcoming event, SteamyLitCon. Thanks, Melissa. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. So how does one build a romance novel empire? I am fascinated. Uh, Back in the year 2020, (laughs) when we were all stuck at home, um, I really just turned to romance novels. I spent the pandemic year by myself. Um, I was married at the time and my spouse was deployed. And um, I just really turned to romance books for happiness. And as I was reading them, I was like, hey, is nobody else horny? Like are we not talking about this? Um, and I don't know, something in my head, it was like romance books, vibrators, like how do we bring the two together? And a friend was like, why don't you start a subscription box? And I was like, huh. And that's kind of how this took off. One of the things that surprised me, because I, I feel like I live on the internet. And so uh physical books right that that surprised me like uh, what was the what was the calculus there what was the, the idea of well not another you know online service let's actually get something physical in people's hands um i think because i'm such a reader myself and i have a big collection of books um i typically prefer to read an actual like paperback or hardcover book versus um, an e-reader just depending on where I go sometimes an e-reader is a little bit easier but um, it never even like occurred to me that like e-books would be an option or audiobooks we have done some partnerships um, where we've included like a code for an e-book but I just feel like there's so much potential for that like code right to like get lost um, for people to not as the books, but when they're actually there, um, you know, they just can't ignore it. <laughs> I one of my happiest memories or giggliest memories uh, was my friend Sarah and I discovering romance novels in middle school, and we went to a very very conservative school. You were girls were not allowed to wear pants, and there was no dancing. It was like Footloose in a, a school form. And she and I stumbled across Kathleen Woodowis books because they didn't have the um, cheesecake, beefcake covers. They were very plain. And so we could read them at recess. That's hilarious. And I can't imagine trying to do that with an e-reader because part of what we would do is write notes to each other in the margins and pass them back and forth between classes. And you, I love on Kindle, but you can't do that on a Kindle. Right, right. That's awesome. When you're, you know, what, 12, 13, and be like, oh my goodness, wait till you see what comes next, or turn to page 28. It's a really formative memory for me. And for her, we're still friends, and we still giggle about, you know, our romance novel margin notes. So I love that you're doing this. That's what What goes into building a Steambox? What do you think about? How do you pick your books? How do you pick the products that go with the books? 
I do a lot of reading. Um, I try to read, if it's not me, somebody on my team, we read every single book that comes in the box. Um, and we try to be very intentional about representation and what identities we're showcasing, what identities we're um, amplifying through the books. Um, and then also like a spectrum of spice. Like I think people think um, because we're called Steamy Lit or the Steam Box that we're like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the terms like open door or closed door when it comes to romance, but um, open door means that, you know, you have sex scenes that are um, very descriptive within the story and closed door is just kind of fades to black. Right. And so because there are folks who experience romance and sexuality in such different ways, um, I am very intentional too about that. Right. Like, sure. We can have a, book that's very descriptive but like steam doesn't just mean description it could also just be those like charged moments between two people right so um yeah and i just read a lot and i i just know when like a book is for the box like i hit on something that i'm like absolutely everyone has to read this for the vibrators it kind of depends um there's like a kind of mixture of if there's something particular that stands out to me in the books um maybe there is some kind of like sex play with a toy or something like maybe we'll try to include something similar but sometimes it's just at this point like last last month i think i got like 40 samples of vibrators and i was like i don't have that many holes um i don't know <laughs> like um i guess i'm just everyone's getting a vibrator for christmas this year sorry mom um and so you know sometimes it's just things that i try that i think are like amazing and i'm like oh absolutely everyone needs to have this in their nightstand drawer you know we were just recently in berlin with caleb jacobson at the school of sex therapy for a, a training that he was doing and at the end of it we were hanging out and it was just us over dinner and i looked at him and i'm like i feel like you're the jewish santa of sex toys like everybody that you meet walks away with a vibrator this is amazing and now i feel like we're meeting his american counterpart everybody should get a vibrator i i am i am committed to this cause so funnily enough i went to a book convention it was a romance book convention this weekend um in which we were sponsors and we brought a bunch of stuff to give away and something that i had seen done at this particular convention before was like authors or other readers would bring little like swag bags or something and kind of drop them throughout the hotel and tell people where they're at for people to go find them so i was like great i'll leave vibrators <laughs> like you know so i brought um vibrators i brought tote bags i brought books and then children started finding them so um there was a really nice post that went up on the facebook group that was like attention the hotel's asking you know like please don't leave sex toys and i'm like ah fuck my bad sorrows sorrows prayers <laughs> <laughs> well that does bring up a good point like one of the things that i i gather and you'll have to tell me if i'm right or wrong on this but i gather from looking at your your site and looking at some of your work you know this this push back against the stigma surrounding sexuality is is a key part of this project right i mean obviously Kids in a hotel room, no. <laughs> but more broadly, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of areas where we need to be a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, right? Like 
no to the kid but also like if a kid picked it up why why can't that be a chance for a conversation about sexuality with their parents right and so like I never had those. Those conversations never happened for me. It was kind of like, here's your AP- HPV shot in case like you get cancer one day when you have sex. And then it's like, here's your birth control. And that was it, right? And so um, a lot of the work that we are trying to do is that, is the stigmatizing and embracing your sexuality, however that looks like for you. But I feel like the topic is still so taboo, especially when it comes to women. Like, you cannot express your sexuality without being sexualized um, or it being something that um, is trashy or, you know, things like that. And so um, really saying like, we're going to take this back and own it um, is something that's really important for me. I have my next book coming out in October and it is um, for couples and mixed desire relationships where one partner is kinky and the other partner is not. And I have an entire chapter on using um, erotica and erotic content as a way to bridge that communication divide and as a way to build comfort, just having those conversations and using that language so that you can just talk to one another. Because to your point about not getting sex at or just being told, here's your birth control, here's your vaccine, go. Um, a lot of my clients don't have a vocabulary to even talk about what they want or to even conceptualize what the possibilities are that they could choose from to maybe want. And um, one of the things that I talk about in my book is the importance of romance novels and how that is a primary vehicle for so many women to learn about their own erotic map, the erotic landscape in general to think about what is possible within a relationship or even, you know, outside of a relationship and think about what appeals to them, what resonates to them, what makes them curious or excited. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned the term closed door romance because we actually have friends who, um, the wife writes closed door romance for Harlequin. That was the first time we'd ever learned that term because again, I cut my teeth on Kathleen Widowis, who is kind of, turns out later in life when I was researching this chapter, known for really breaking down the explicit walls. She was like, I'm going to lay it all out there. So I wasn't familiar with the idea of closed door romance. And I thought that that was fascinating, that there is the spectrum of spice. I loved how you put that in in what people can, um, I don't want to say expose themselves to, because that sounds like building an immunity, but what, what people can choose for themselves and where they can go with thinking about relationship and sexuality and intimacy. One of the things that you mentioned is that you try to, you know, really center authors from um, different perspectives and different communities. And I'd love to hear how that plays into um, your vision of, of the purpose behind this work and how you see that as an extension of of the education that you're doing for me it was just really important to see myself represented in media um i didn't see if at all really any like latina characters in books growing up and so um when i started reading romance heavily i sought out those books and i realized that there was like a few issues within publishing right where like Um, authors of color just don't have as much 
opportunity. They're not getting the same contract deals um, and marketing budgets are just not there. And so that was big for me to be able to just provide a platform to amplify their work. And um, it's literally me putting the books in your hands. Like you don't even have to do research. You know, that's part of it. It's 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 part of um just learning and opening yourself to to different things, different cultures, different people, I think it can only make you a better person. And then for those folks who have just not seen themselves or their relationships or the way they experience love or sexuality, um, like represented in media, there's nothing more powerful than that. And um, being able to put something together that gives that power back to someone, I think it's amazing. And how do you find authors? What is your process for connecting and uh, you know, vetting and before you even get to promoting? Various ways. Some deep in the reader space as well on the romance side. So, um, you know, I'm on social media a lot and see what people are posting, um, who they're talking about. Um, but then there's also like just bookseller platforms online where you can see what books are coming out. Um, the only downside to that is that a lot of that is traditional published, not independently published. So um, for like independently published books, usually they're um, first released on like Amazon or something like that. So I'm having to like filter through Amazon and seeing what things come up and then researching, right, which is like, part of I think where things can get icky because you also don't want to reach out to somebody and like that hasn't expressed what their identity is and be like what is like how do you identify right so um trying to do as much research on our end without having to like have those conversations of like are you xyz um because I also think that's something that's very personal but also just having conversations with people and like, what are they reading? Maybe the person doesn't um, identify as a particular identity, but they have really good representation in their books where they have thoroughly researched um, what they're writing about. Someone that's a great example of that, I think is Kennedy Ryan. She always writes about folks that are part of different identities, but the research she puts behind that is like incredible um and so that's kind of a little bit of like the process and then just reading and making sure you know that it's a good fit as this has gone on and you've been able to connect with these authors and to get the books into people's hands uh, are you building a community of authors i mean i i know that uh you have a conference coming up i i don't know how that relates so is there a community developing and, and how does that relate to the conference that you're putting on? Yeah, I think there's definitely a community developing um, in in that they're like I like to call them like Steamy Lit or Steambox authors. Um, and we've made connections by, you know, like we had a booth at the LA Times Festival of Books, and those are the people that I invited if they were able to come sign our LA Times Festival of Books. Um, but then it's kind of led into the convention space, right? And so we are getting ready to host our first um, romance book convention, Simi LitCon, um, and it's like phase away. So um, uh, I'm getting like clammy just talking about it now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was our whole purpose behind the convention as well. It was um, celebrating diversity in romance, not only the folks who read them, but the folks who write it um, and the folks who celebrate it. Right. And so um, a lot of the authors coming are authors that have been in the steam box or that I learned about because I was 
reading work for the steam box and so um that's been really incredible we have about 195 authors coming um and about 1100 attendees and just very excited for it all that is some impressive numbers. That is phenomenal. We are um, doing the Securing Sexuality Conference this fall in Detroit, and we are, for a first year event, perhaps not aiming at 1,100, but I can definitely, definitely empathize with the stress of those final months and those you're getting down to the final days leading up to it. What has that experience been like for you of planning out such a huge event? Stressful. <laughs> Um, luckily, I have a great co-organizer. Um, her name is Cookie. She's someone I uh, met through the like romance reading book space. And we kind of started this process um, like a year and a half ago when we started going to other conventions just to kind of see like what else is out there, what's happening, what's missing from the space. She's amazing. I could not be doing this without her. But I mean, it's been... Um, it's interesting because as a as a reader first, you know, it's like an exciting thing. And then um, when you become kind of part of the industry, right, um, it's all business. And so I think, unfortunately, it takes some of that like initial like so excited to do this because like all of these authors I love are coming because now it's on like a business industry side. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to pull this event and like I have to order X, Y, Z things. Um, but overall, it we've been really fueled by like the support and love um, and just excitement from people for the convention, um, especially when we said that we were celebrating diversity and romance. We didn't know how it was going to be received. We did a fundraiser to be able to kick off um, the event and we um, raised about $186,000 in a month. So like, I mean, I feel like if that doesn't speak to the power of just how much this was needed in the space um, and how much people are excited about it. You know, I don't know what else can. So exciting things. Um, now I just got to see it through. <laughs> that is exciting. And especially, you know, we, the, the technology world is full of conferences. That's a, a, a huge part of how hackers especially build community and socialize. And the idea that somebody's able to, to, pull off $186,000 in funding is amazing. And it really, really speaks to the community that you build and their belief in you. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I almost think we shouldn't release this because you're going to get inundated with, how did you do that? How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, please check out the website, but leave her alone with the fundraising. She's got enough going on. Sheesh. Yeah, remind me um, or ask me like after the convention. Um, no, I, I think just a lot of it has been building relationships, right? Um, that's something that I'm very big on. And I think that that has really created our path forward. Um, and then what's helped is that you have people who are believing in us and then those people who believe in us bring more people who believe in us. So it's it's been wonderful to watch. And yeah, we're, we're almost there now. <laughs> Well, I'm sure it's just going to be amazing. Uh, I do have a question, though, in terms of like word of mouth and getting the word out. How has it been to promote Steamy Lit? I know sometimes it can be challenging doing Instagram ads or you know Facebook ads or any number of ways that traditional businesses get the word out. 
Yeah, so all of my ads get denied um, and I have to appeal them every single time. Like they never get approved. Actually for the convention page, um, I don't think they've like linked us together. So um, the convention page gets the ads approved. But if I post on any of our other platforms, we always get denied and we have to appeal it, which is um, really annoying. Somewhere where we've been able to do a little bit more promotion has been TikTok and just, um, you know, those conversations have kind of gone viral a little bit about promoting the event. So that's been really great. I think the hardest thing has been getting word out there that we exist because there's other conventions that are popular and people already know about them. Um, But, you know, as the newcomers, it was how do we let people find out about us? So every order we've had we've like started putting in little um like pamphlets about the convention um any space that we've been able to go to we hadn't done any like in-person appearances like booths or anything so we started doing that this year just to like get the word out there and then again the social media space i mean as much as they like deny us and we have to appeal it it's also been a way to just promote the event because there's no other way i mean people are getting their social their um, I think information mostly from social media nowadays. So we just had to kind of keep pushing with that. Would you say that your draw is mostly industry people? Is this a business conference or is this a fan convention? Are you are you hoping to draw more insiders or more um, readers? This is a fan convention. We do want to aim to create one day for industry. Um where it would be more of like aspiring authors meeting or being in spaces with like editors and agents and just people in the industry and then creating like craft writing classes for authors if it's something that they wanted to do, which would be a whole other day from the convention. But like the main convention would be, it's always going to be for the readers. So then that leads to my next question, which is a little bit more personal. I know that there is like, you know, VidCon for all of the YouTube and TikTok and and online fans. And there are true crime conventions based around people that really love like the thriller, mystery, real life stuff. How did you come to romance novels? I mean, obviously it comes from a personal love, but of all of the things that you can read, of all of the things that could lead you here, how did you start with romance novels? I've been reading from God since I could read. Um, I've always been obsessed with books. Um, But I realized probably in like middle school um, that I always had a strong affinity for anything that had a romance subplot. Like if there was a, a stare between two people, if there was like the possibility of two people ending up together, that was my jam. Um, but I didn't realize so much later on that like romance was a whole genre on its own that like I could literally just eat up a book with people like staring at each other, the whole book, you know? <laughs> um, and so I would say I came to those probably like 2012, 2013, um, around the time that, um, the 50 shades of gray series came out and I was in the Navy at the time. And again, it was like another form of escapism for me. I would go to my rack at the end of the day and just like devour a book about happy people, which was not what the people in the boat were. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think, um, I think E.L. James and Colleen Hoover were like my 
like real heavy introduction to like holy shit there's like full books of just romance and just sex and like where was i all this time and it was wonderful it was a wonderful time is it okay with you if i ask um a a tricky question that might rain on the wonderful parade a little bit sure so as a sex therapist, my specialty is BDSM and kink. That, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I write about. Those are the clients I work with. That's what I teach about. And I was fascinated by the reaction within the kink community to Fifty Shades of Grey, because as much as mainstream readers loved it, actual kink practitioners hated it. And I will say in my own, you know, in my own work, the only time I ever referenced Fifty Shades of Grey is actually in a class I teach on differentiating between consensual kink and abuse. Mm. I'm curious how, when you are reading romance novels or when you're thinking about an author to bring in, I mean, romance is a huge spectrum and, you know, there are lots of fantasy elements and lots of kink elements and all sorts of things that play out within the genre. How do you decide what is uplifting content I'll go with versus something that might be platforming something a little bit more problematic? I think that's a great question. So um, when I first read E.L. James, I was not aware of, um, I mean, I wasn't in the BDSM or King community, so I had no idea, right? Like, again, I was, it was mainstream content for me. So I was like, crap, like, people are out here doing this. And some of it is kind of sexy. Like, And then it was later when I really started getting back into the reading community that I found out how damaging some of the portrayal or if not all of the portrayal was to the BDSM community. You know, that kind of sucked because you, you're reading thinking you're reading correct representation. um, And then you find out you're not. And then you're like, so what is correct representation? Right. And I think that I also have this issue with Colleen Hoover, where some of the portrayal of abuse in her books could be seen as romanticizing abuse to the point where like you have young girls who are making TikToks about like getting thrown down the stairs and like, them romanticizing that right and so i feel like as an author there's still a level of responsibility when you're putting out your writing you don't know who these books are reaching right there has to be a level of responsibility to what you're writing and so that is part of my research i think if i read something i think now i can tell more or less um when things are like going sideways but i also like to ask authors like what was part of your research process like was it something that like you researched or was it you know you just read another book and you thought you wanted to include it type of thing um because i also think as a as a bookseller there's also a certain level of responsibility when you're putting books out there at the end of the day it's the readers it's up to the reader right but there's also a reader responsibility in that where like you can't expect for everyone else to have done the work for you like if you want to pick up a book there should be something that like if you're reading maybe do some research i think this comes up a lot too with like readers who are reading books about culture not like their own and should the author have to translate um like writing in their dialogue um and so usually my answer to that is like why can't you just google the fucking word you know like why does the author have to now break down what that means and so I think there's different portions to this conversation but I think it is important to have because like 
you don't want to damage other people and you don't want to hurt other people um, and you don't want to bring a light to um, things that you're passionate about that are negative, right? Um, just because you didn't do your proper research. And I think from my understanding, E.L. James never like addressed it, just kind of let it be. And that's another thing, right? People experience things differently. So let's say E.L. James had been part of the BDSM community and that was her experience with it. Okay, but like there has to be some kind of conversation. I think there just couldn't be silence because silence makes it seem like you are correct versus all the people in this community who are saying you're not. And it could be hurtful. Yeah, it definitely can. And I I think about all the the thoughtfulness that comes across as we're discussing this about how you select authors and select materials. And, you know, it's it's so tricky because yeah. you can have a great piece of literature. And this I'm not I'm stepping aside from 50 Shades, but we, we can have a great piece of literature and have a problematic author or vice versa. I, I was wondering, because, you know, the, the obviously the opposite side of your boxes is the the tech is the toys and similarly right we want to make sure that the toys are safe and that they're they're fit for use and i i gotta imagine much like some people like this type of book or that type of book some people like this type of toy versus that type of toy what is your your process for figuring out what to ship besides having apparently dozens upon dozens of uh, things shipped to you some portion of that is um like we can reduce waste in the environment. Um, we've worked with a company, uh, Love Not War, that creates these really cool toys where like, you can just change out the head, but you keep the battery. So you don't have to like have a different vibrator. You just have one battery and you just change out. It's, it was fascinating to me. We also try to source from smaller businesses that are making vibrators. And um, it, sometimes those are a little bit more expensive because, you know, you're not going to get the same deal as you would with someone like Satisfier. But being able to also, like, there's two Latina-owned companies that we source from, Madi and Bloomy. That was important to me because, like, as a Latina selling sex toys, I can imagine what the conversation with their parents was like telling them that they were making sex toys. Um, but I think there can definitely be a lot more into our process of like what we're buying, what people are putting into their bodies. Um, and it's something I want to expand on hopefully soon, um, especially on like the side of just like educating, right? A lot of people just don't know. Um, like, again right sex is such a taboo topic so like just educating on like not only how to like maybe use a different device or things like that but um also like cleaning um can you keep sex toys together like there's so much to it that i feel like you just don't know so anyway i'm hoping to expand on that later we brought in a sexologist a couple when we first started the box to have just more conversations on that a little bit but it's definitely something that i want to grow I know, Stephanie, you've got a lot to say there about being a sexologist yourself and toys. But before that happens, I want to say something else. So one of the things that is exciting to me about this, so I, yeah, obviously I'm not your core audience, but I do have boxes I like. And there's this one box, and I've driven Stephanie crazy about this, because this one box that I had came with a martini kit, and it had a certain type of vodka. Mm -hmm. 
And I have been trying to find that vodka <laughs> for two years. One of the things I like about what you're saying is oftentimes, I mean, you're right. The satisfiers are, are a great toy from what I hear, but you can get those anywhere. What I find really intriguing about what you're saying is the ability to discover new things, to find things that are not going to be available at your, your local store. Yeah. I really like that. Often I feel like the other items that we put in the box kind of get forgotten about, but we also include like three to five self-care items or just like bookish items. And we try to source those as well from like small businesses. And some of those are like body oils, but we're not, you know probably purchasing your regular body oil you can get like we're sourcing from small businesses so there are a lot of like little fun things in the box i think that like you might just not get anywhere unless you're really like sourcing um so that's always fun too i think putting the box together is the funnest part for me like sourcing the different items and where they're coming from and that's half the fun. I, I have a couple of subscription boxes. Um, Wolf and I compete over who gets the cooler stuff every quarter. Um, I, I did have to give up my monthly subscriptions. He was like, baby, you have way too much random stuff coming in. So we, we've reined ourselves into quarterly subscriptions only. Um, but that is half the fun, is finding the things that you wouldn't get to see otherwise and discovering those indie brands and experiencing maybe a smaller quantity of something much more luxe than what you'll find at a big box store. And I think that that's phenomenal. As we, you know, as you head into the final few weeks before your conference, as we head into the final few moments of our conversation, what do you think is next for you? Where do you want to see Steambox and Steamy Lit grow? What, what is the next evolution of your romance self-care empire? <sighs> so I'm toying around with the idea of an actual like brick and mortar store, which would be the same thing. Like we would have romance books and then we would have a vibrator we recommend with the romance book. I think my only issue with that is that there's so much stigma still around just sex toys. And I mean, we talked about this offline, but like at the LA Times Festival of Books, I use Clover um, as like our merchant to sell things. And we strictly sold books and bookish merch. Like LA Times Festival of Books is like a family. I'm obviously not bringing vibrators, you know. Um, and they can't, they like canceled our, um, our account because they said they saw vibrators on our website and they just don't agree with that. And it's those things that kind of terrify me. And it's like, as I continue to do this work, how many more hurdles do we have to go through to be able to like, keep an account to be able to process payments? Like, that's insane, you know? So anyway, um, a brick and mortar store, and then really continuing to grow the community. Um, I actually just went back to school to um, get a second bachelor's in women, gender and sexuality, because I have so many of these conversations and I feel like, sure, I talk based of experience, but I feel like there's so much that I want to learn to be able to bring more to the community that we're building. And so um, I just took like some really cool classes this past summer and like it was so fun to actually be in school because like I wanted to learn, you know? <laughs> So my hope is to, as I get this degree and learn more, to be able to build the community more on kind of the things we spoke about, like just sexuality in general and um, sex toys and different things and create a safe space where we can 
talk about these things together and learn together um, because I don't think there's many spaces out there that are, I don't, taboo free, I guess, um, while still talking about romance books. And I think the lovely part about romance books is that um, you are having people now creating whole like TikToks and reels about like a guy choking somebody and like that's their new kink and like that's sensational like go you you know um so i just want to be part of the change and hope that it continues to grow and flourish and really screw the patriarchy you know <laughs> totally down for screwing the patriarchy although as as the kink therapist i do want to make sure that people are safely engaging in consensual breath play yeah <laughs> Yeah. Disclaimer, that is risky. <laughs> Absolutely. I celebrate everybody rocking out with whatever they find that brings them joy. But guys, pause, read the nonfiction too, take the class, learn the lesson, do it safely. Absolutely. For you. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel, I really want to thank you for coming on. I, I love your, your attitude. I love the the fresh take that you're bringing to this. I'm so excited to see um, toys and books and items that people would not ordinarily be able to find make it into the hands of people who need it. And of course, I, th I think everyone who is on this podcast and hopefully everyone who's listening is well aligned with reducing taboo and, and breaking down stigma and, and increasing access. So thank you so much. I appreciate you taking a few minutes in those last stressful days up to your conference to join us today. Thank you so much for having me. And for those of you joining us, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to Securing Sexuality, your source of information you need to protect yourself and your relationships. Securing Sexuality is brought to you by the Bound Together Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit. From the bedroom to the cloud, we're here to help you navigate safe sex in a digital age. Be sure to check out our website, securingsexuality.com, for more links to the information we discussed here today, uh, everything you need to get a box yourself, and uh, as well as our live conference in Detroit. And join us again for more fascinating conversations about the intersection of sexuality and technology. Have a great week.